Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 440, featuring Eric Durst and Matt Wieland, who are both visual effects supervisors on the show on a mini-series that's available on Apple TV Plus called Five Days at Memorial. It is an absolutely incredible mini-series based on a true story about a hospital in New Orleans that was stuck without power for five days uh, during Hurricane Katrina. Uh, and uh, it was pretty incredible work. A lot of the work is invisible visual effects, and I was really, really impressed with it. Uh, In fact, uh, they were both nominated for an Emmy, which I'm super excited about. Now, you may be wondering who is Eric Durst, and I have heard that name before. That is correct. He has been on this podcast before a long time ago, uh, back in episode 114, uh, and you should definitely check out that episode because we go in-depth into his career, which is an incredible career. It goes all the way back to the original Tron in 1982. Uh, and it was an incredible career and a super nice guy. It was great to have him back. And interestingly enough, we I was Matt Whelan and I worked together uh, as well. And uh, we did we worked together back in 2010 on, believe it or not, Tron Legacy. Yes, the sequel to Tron. So there's definitely a Tron sequence going or a Tron thing going on in this whole episode, which is kind of cool. And it was really great to catch up with him uh, and to you know see how he's doing and all the incredible stuff that's going on in his career, including getting nominated for an Emmy. So congratulations to Matt and to Eric on that. Okay, we have a couple of product announcements or just one product announcement I'm going to remind you guys of, and that is Vantage 2 is out. It is a huge update to Vantage, uh, and there's a lot of incredible new features. I am very excited about it. Uh, In fact, a lot of stuff going on in uh, labs right now, in the Innovation Lab, is actually related to Vantage and the real-time ray tracing that's going on. So definitely go to chaos.com and check out everything that is new in Vantage 2. As far as announcements, I will be at the Rainbow Conference uh, in London. That is August 29th through the 31st. So yes, it's going to be next week from this podcast, from this episode coming out. And uh, I will actually be giving a talk on August 31st. So I really look forward to seeing you guys there. If you're going to be at the Rainbow Conference in London, uh, it'd be really cool to see you guys there. All right. Uh, now, if you guys want to know more about the podcast, of course, you guys know what to do. You can just go to chaos.com slash CG Garage. You can also follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash CG Garage Podcast. And if you'd like to watch these podcasts, which I always recommend on YouTube, a lot of fun, just go to youtube.com slash chaos group TV. And of course, if you have other ideas uh, of podcasts or suggestions, please let us know. In fact, this podcast was a suggestion from someone. I'm super happy that it happened. Uh, Just email us, labs at chaos.com. But for now, please enjoy episode number 440 with Eric Durst and Matt Whelan. Welcome to another CG Garage, where the chaos group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. Okay, cool. So it's funny. Uh, uh, Eric Eric has obviously been on before, and we've talked, and we were just talking about it, Eric, that Matt and I actually met about 14 years ago. Uh, we were both working on Tron, and uh, he was working at a Mr. X, and I was working at DD, and I 
came by to sort of help consult on some V-Ray stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, 14 years ago, that was a long Fantastic. time. Fantastic. Well, yeah. eventually so a, everyone connects. We all connect <laughs> and it's really great. Uh, um, before we get started, I think, you know, I will let people know to go check out your previous episode because, Eric, obviously you have a, a, a rich history uh, that, that we've already discussed. But, uh, Matt, let's do a quick catch up with you. How, how did you get into visual effects? <laughs> Oh, yeah. So um, I went to Sheridan College for um, animation. Eric and I actually have that in, in common. Is okay. that he was down at CalArts and, and I was at Sheridan College. But we both come from classical animation backgrounds. And so I um, pursued uh, animation and, uh, and uh, storyboarding and things like that for a little while. And then it was very clear I was working at the Cartoon Saloon in Ireland for a little bit. And um, I was pretty sure that computers were going to be a thing. So I would spend my weekends and evenings kind of boning up on Maya classes and tutorials and things like that. And then uh, I came back and worked in commercials for maybe a year or two at a small studio called Red Rover in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where I got into V-Ray originally. Oh, okay. And then I, uh, uh, I ended up moving to Mr. X uh, for Tron. It was actually my first feature I'd ever worked on, which is where I met you. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. it, and it seems like yesterday. So uh, congratulations on, uh, on your career, Matt, really taking off. Uh, that's really awesome. How did you start getting into uh, supervising? Uh, yeah. So when Netflix was a fledgling company, um, I had done a bunch of work uh, with a friend of mine who runs Mavericks here in Toronto uh, named Brendan Taylor. And he suggested me for a position on a show called Hemlock Grove, which was one of their first uh, shows. Yeah. And uh, we, it had been nominated for an Emmy prior season. So I was really lucky to get in um, and get that job. And it absolutely destroyed me. Uh, it just wrecked me, the, the getting on set and, and trying to do the back end of visual effects for the first time. Um, and yeah, it took my, took my lumps and learned. And then after that, everything else seemed kind of straightforward. Once you learn how to read a call sheet properly, everything gets easier. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is funny that culture on set is a very different experience, and especially yeah. you know when you sit in a dark room and tweak shaders, it's a it's not the same thing. <laughs> you exactly. don't have the luxury of time. <laughs> exactly. uh, awesome, awesome. Well, that's that's really cool, and obviously we're going to talk a lot about uh, about the show you guys did, and I want to get into it and and talk to get into the nitty gritty about it. But Eric, let's do a quick catch up with you as well. Obviously, you've been doing a lot of work in the last, you know, six years since we've done, we recorded with you. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing a lot of uh, both both films and also episodic stuff. I think after we were on, um, it was 2017. So after that point, um, I got involved in the first episodic I'd done, or uh, episodic cinema, as we all call it. Mm -hmm. um, and that was with Ron Howard uh, for the genius series so it was the story of einstein so it was mm -hmm. uh, very interesting and in a way there's sort of some compatibility between that and what we're the show we're going to talk about because it's real events things that you think you know about like i th thought i knew about einstein but then once you get into it you realize you, you knew nothing and so you just get deeper and deeper into it and i love doing these kind of shows because they're educational cool. and so from there i did let's see uh, going back, um, <clears throat> what are all the other shows? 
a number of different uh, episodes. You can look at IMDb and, and do it, and sure. then then uh, ending at this point with uh, Five Days of Memorial. So uh, really a balance between features and episodics or series uh, streaming events, and, and that's really balanced out the industry, I think, at least um, as of a few months ago. Now it's, we're in a whole pattern, but we'll sure. see where that goes. But uh, really uh, phenomenal work that's, that's going on and privileged to be in the game. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I, I've, I've heard some good news today, by the way. I think that they're talking about getting back to the table and negotiating. So hopefully good, uh, there's some possibly as early as September, we may start to see production. Yeah, right I hadn't heard that. That's great. Which is great. But uh, I do want to talk a little bit about, you know, mini. I'm so happy that miniseries are back because oh, yeah. they were so cool. And it's just an opportunity to get into a story way more in depth than you can do in a two hour or 90 minute yeah. Uh, story and I think it's really wonderful that streaming networks are enabling that to happen so much more now. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about this Five Days at Memorial is that it, it was a book. It was actually Sherry Fink who run the, won the Pulitzer Prize for her article in the New York Times that started the story, and then it became a book, and then it was optioned to be a feature, and it was out there for I don't know many years, eight nine years, mm-hmm. until Carlton Cuse. Uh, bought the rights and made it into uh, a limited series. And really, I think that made the difference. It wasn't, th- this show couldn't be told in two hours. It had to have the length to really get the nuance into it. Yeah, I think that, and I think this is a perfect example of that, right? I mean, you, 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 can, you need a longer format to tell the story properly, and you don't necessarily need to commit to you know, a, se- a series with multiple seasons either. You can just like, I just need something that's about five or six hours of story time, yeah. you know? <laughs> uh, which is really, really cool. So uh, how were you guys uh, approached about getting into this and uh, what was sort of the, each of your roles on this? Well, we started, actually, Matt and I both interviewed for the job. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, uh, the, the great thing about this is the producers hired both of us, which is, <laughs> was a fantastic thing. And it's been great with Matt and I working together because we have different skill sets and we were able to tag team and do all kinds of things. You know, in, in the episodic world, sometimes it's more than one, one supervisor, sometimes it's one and a half, sometimes it's full, full two, and mm-hmm. it, it's very hard to do it all yourself because there's so, you have to be in so sure. many different places at once. So this was like great. And then Matt and I quickly started to you know, talk and bond and figure out what our skill sets were. Originally, Matt was going to be on-set supervisor, and then he started doing his pre-visualization, and he's just brilliant at that because in, I will uh, basically say Matt, you know, has a degree in drawing as well as uh, 3D and animation that you talked about earlier. Right. So a lot of skill sets to be able to visualize very clearly what we're talking about. And that became extremely evident just at the beginning. So we said, like, Matt, you just keep, stay in your house. I know it's a lockdown at that point, but just keep staying there. Don't, don't leave and uh-huh. keep doing that. I'll take the set and we'll just move on from there. So that's how it evolved. Yeah. So how, what did you do to your, how did you do your previous, Matt? What was your, were, what was your skills there? Oh, uh, yeah. So um, a little bit of boards at the beginning during production meetings and things like that. My background's in draftsmanship. So uh, drawing is always the fastest way to get 
confirmation on ideas. Right. Um, and then we moved to Unreal. So uh, just really quick to be able to get the proper film backs and the art department was great in providing models. So we would get together, Eric and the directors and um, Ramsey, our DP, and just look around the set and find out what we were going to do. And uh, to their credit, uh, the director's credit, they stuck with those choices. So they were very austere filmmakers. They knew what they wanted and it made it very easy for us. So I think in the first five episodes, about 22 minutes of the shows were pre-vised mm. and they were pretty close. We ended up pretty close in terms of how those scenes played out. So um, as you know, it makes it just much easier for visual effects if everybody has a vision up front and we can stick to it as we go into shooting. <laughs> That is very true. Uh, yeah. A lot of times people like to uh, leave their choices till after as long as possible, which uh, is right. not always uh, the best way to go. Think, All right. I well, let's get, a, one, let's get a quick story, Eric, about the – sorry. Go ahead, Eric. No, just one, one addition to that. I think one thing that really helped get them to stick to the plan, and I found this in other films as well, working with directors and previs and so forth, is that – they felt like they were participants. I mean, we were able to do this not as a traditional previs where you get sort of a brief and you go away and do it and you say, this is what we've come up with. And there's, a, there's some distance with that. In this case, uh, because Matt is so fast and we were in Unreal, we were able to basically all get very comfortable virtually as if we were on the set itself and make those decisions. And everyone felt like they had been there and contributed. So I think that had a big part of everyone feeling comfortable about the, the results that we ended up with. And when we got there on the set, even though it was a huge set, everyone felt they had already been there. So uh, all that syncing up made, made it work, and it was all the difference. Well, that's the... That's the ultimate previs, right? If everyone already knows where they are they, they, and what they're doing, then it's, it's much, much easier. Well, get, let's, before, I mean, obviously this, this is available now, right? You can, anyone can see yeah. it now on Apple TV. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm trying to make sure. Uh, yeah. But uh, give us an idea, uh, uh, just to give people an idea of what this story is about so, so we can understand the kind of visual effects you guys had to tackle as we went along here. Matt, you want to take that? <laughs> no, go ahead, please. Okay. Um, well, Hurricane Katrina and the breaching of the levees was just uh, foobar times a million, right? It was right. just really a, a, a terrible situation. And in many ways, I think, I've sort of looked back at this. This is a wake-up call for America, I think, in terms of, of an event that happened where we realized we weren't as prepared uh, nearly as we thought we were. And so it unearthed, unearthed a lot of things. In this case, Memorial Hospital is a hospital that was uh, flooded and it was owned by a corporation. And it, so because of that disconnect, I think, there were not, uh, it, it was a money-making organization rather than something that's, that has more uh, ethics to it, and so they weren't as prepared as they, as they should have been. So when the flooding happened, when the uh, levees uh, breached and the, the water came, it took out the power 
So there's no power, it's about 110 degrees inside with patients. No, no power, so you run batter batteries for um, uh, ventilators and things like that. Uh, and of course it's all dark. And there were no plans, there was no contingency, there was no sort of um, plan for evacuation. If, if evacuation plan, none. So right. there were no relationships with helicopters coming in or boats or any rescue at all, and they were on their own. And they were told by the government that they were on sort of the second list. In other words, they were not a high priority. So even though when they had these frantic calls to the uh, health, uh, the services, FEMA and things like that, trying to get rescued, they were just said, basically told to, to wait, and they couldn't. And so for five days, people went through this hell. Eventually, they got evacuated one boat at a time, and finally, they get a helicopter to land. The helipad that they had hadn't been used for 30 years. The plans to renovate it were just shuttled by the, the corporation. So when helicopter when a helicopter finally landed, they didn't even know if it would if it would support it. So we had to show that as well and how rickety it was up there. So um, once everyone was evacuated, eventually uh, these investigators came in and they went into the hospital and found out in the uh, cathedral, sort of cathedral, this no, not cathedral, the um, praying area. Yeah, the chapel. The chapel. chapel. Uh, they had all these bodies lined up, and they discovered there were like, what's the final number, like 35, 35 or 40 dead bodies? I thought it was 40, some plus 40, yeah. 40, and then I think 35 of them or so had been euthanized. And so this became a big issue, like who euthanized these patients, why, and so forth. It became a, a giant uh, investigation and eventually a criminal investigation. Uh, Anna Poe, who was the lead doctor, as well as two nurses, were uh, arrested and they were going to go up for murder. There was a grand jury and the grand jury decided not to indict because it was just such a, uh, a, a question of like, what would you do in that case? Because here are right. patients who are stuck in their, in their uh, hospital beds. It's hot as hell. And the government is saying, you have to leave. I don't care if you bring your patient or not. You just have to get out of here or we'll arrest you. And they had to leave their patients there. And do you let them rot or do you comfort them right. in some way? So that was, that's the crux of the story. That's an amazing story uh, and definitely a complicated story. And I can imagine the so many different parts to it, obviously, with the, the hurricane and then the flooding and <laughs> then the investigation and all of that stuff was, uh, must have been amazing. Um, obviously, you guys had to tackle water, which is a very, very hard <laughs> thing mm -hmm. to tackle. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I'm assuming there was obviously some uh, live action and CG and then creating those to be exactly the same uh, are very challenging as well. But let's start with uh, some of the water stuff that you guys had to do. Tell us a little bit about the challenges you were doing with uh, with water and, and understanding what that is. Well, there there was a great deal of photography just to start with that. There are a yeah. tremendous amount of archival footage. And what was interesting about it is that there were some key moments, some iconic moments that we all remember, like the Superdome without the roof mm -hmm. uh, or the destruction of the Lower Ninth Ward. And 
they were, there was a lot of photography before and during Hurricane Katrina and a lot of photography after that happened, but nothing as it occurred. So one of our uh, things that we really wanted to do was to show the Superdome, the roof being ripped off, and also the destruction of the Lower Ninth Ward and having the levees breach. And so right. that was our largest water, uh, pure simulated water sequence. And then also mm -hmm. we had built a million gallon, 280 by 130 uh, foot tank in Hamilton, uh, Ontario, which is outside of Toronto. And that was for a bulk of our live action work that we extended. Okay. Okay. Uh, and that, that looks pretty uh, amazing. Uh, I saw, you know, some of the stuff you guys did there, which looked incredible. Um, there was some interesting things in that tank. Obviously, you created this tank and then you extended the worlds beyond that, right? And so extending those worlds uh, sounds, you know, uh, complicated and especially to make the match with what you guys had. How, how did you, what, what, how was the, the process of trying to make sure everything sort of blended together correctly and the lighting looked identical too? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'll take that. Sure. Yeah. The, um, the way we approached it was when we were asked first about uh, how big we needed the tank to be, because Eric and I immediately said we need to build a tank for just all the interactions that we're going to do with the water. We don't want to be simulating that. Mm -hmm. uh, they asked us how big we wanted it to be, and we just said as large as you can build it, like what's physically possible in this area. So sure. uh, they, they found a a relatively level parking lot and John McGillivray and his team uh, built essentially, you know, cinder block walls around it and lined it and filled it with water. <laughs> and uh, it, I think the highest, it was about five feet, four and a half, five feet, Eric. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah so it was, uh, as Eric said, about, uh, well, for the Canadians, four million liters right. and uh, a million gallons. But uh, Which sound, you that feel more impressive. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, that's why it takes more of our money to equate yours as well. Um, but we uh, we stand uh, when you were standing it, you could feel the pressure uh, of just all this water pushing against your legs. Right. And um, they, you know, we had uh, high water trucks lifted by a crane and put into the pool. So everything we could do, we built. We used every piece of that pool. Right. Um, and then Ramsey, our DP, came up with this great system or had used this great system where he flew 20 by 30 blue screens on telehandlers uh, around. So we had about 12 of them at the most. Mm -hmm. And the nice part was that very quickly they had drivers standing by to just replace those per camera angle. And so we could stack them vertically or tilt them for the sun or do whatever we needed to do. And it was a very fluent way to get the. So they were blue very screens. mobile blue screens. Very oh, yeah. mobile. They were great. Yeah. Awesome. And, and the tilting <laughs> and, uh, them to get the sun is something we used constantly because it was the exterior yeah. photography. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, and we had worked out just previously in Unreal with the direction at which we should build the set so that we didn't get ourselves in trouble with having a cast standing in a place that should be shadowed by a hospital that wasn't there. Oh, you right. Me. Because you only built the hospital to right. a certain height and the rest yeah, was Yeah, we only extended. had a, 
about 20 feet or so. So, um, yeah, we, we were just, ta- we did a lot of discussions about that early on and everybody was quite receptive to, um, the previs, which was the best and the planning that we put in early on the, um, so yeah, to get those things to mesh up, El Ranchito did that work and they, uh, specifically the ER ramp and they, you know, they're using, uh, PBR shaders and for real or ray tracing. Mm-hmm. I think they were Arnold mostly. Okay. So everything kind of came out looking from version one, looking real to us. They have a great pipeline there. Awesome. And yeah, yeah. So, uh, and how did you nine, guys give them like HDRs of every shot to make sure that the lighting would match? Yeah. We did do, but we, we were pretty, pretty loose in terms of like, we take one at different points during the day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and, and silver and gray ball as we went. Right. Yeah. Because the, the water's pretty seamless. I mean, it's mm-hmm. kind of amazing what you guys yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the credits to them really oh, yeah. Yeah. did a great job. So yeah. yeah. Great lighting, great compositing. Uh, amazing, amazing job. So, uh, I love it when those uh, practical and CG work so well together sure. and then people can celebrate, you know, the practical effects and CG effects complementing each other so well, you know, because I, I get a real kick of, out of invisible effects because you show yes. them and people say, oh, what did you do is like you don't know what you're doing. And then you take it away. It's like, oh, my God, look at that. <laughs> it's such a rush. <laughs> yeah. And people assume that you went to a hospital and it's like, no, we just built a couple walls. Right. right. <laughs> people assume we were in New Orleans for the whole yeah. shoot. And it just, yep. we weren't. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's, that's the way it is. I mean, that's the way I think it's really kind of awesome to, uh, to see that the, those effects were, were, uh, were, were so well, so well done. Uh, what about, uh, what about the big, the big destruction sequences? Those must have been uh, a lot of, a uh, lot of work and to, to think about that. Yeah, that was uh, a lot involved in that. It, the whole production of the the levee levee breaching in the Lower Ninth Ward that was a nine month process. Mm-hmm. So we first of all had to find the right people to do it. Stormborn Studios in okay. Vancouver did it, and uh, kudos kudos to them because they just right. did such a fabulous job. And I had not worked with them before. I don't think, Matt, you worked with them before either. They were recommended by uh, the producers. And they had another show that they had worked on with them. But this was by far the biggest thing that they had done. And sure. as we know, it's not necessarily about the water. It's sort of what the water does to other things and how they interact with them. So right. for that, I think the one of the most daunting things was looking at how dense, just, just from the archival footage, looking at the destroyed worlds and houses and everything in the water, all the assets that it took to create that. And to create that all in CG would be an enormous amount of just stuff that had to mm-hmm. break apart and be dynamic. So we went out, or we, we, we used uh, Google Earth to virtually uh, location scout uh, the area because we were in Toronto, and we found 27 houses that represented sort of the look of the architecture in New Orleans because you have narrow shotgun houses and shotgun very, houses, yeah, yeah, very unique look than you have here in California mm-hmm. or Toronto. And so we found those. We had Crafty Apes, who was down in Baton Rouge, go down yeah. lidar, and also with uh, drones. Uh, go around the houses so we could get photogrammetry of that and make models that way. 
And okay. so we had those as assets and gave those to Stormborn. They, they made them dynamic so they could break apart. And then they started. And Matt, you can talk about the, the process of doing the, uh, the previs, and that helped sort of got the ball Informed. rolling. Yeah, yeah. So we had pretty good base with uh, Carlton had kind of this idea of starting objective as if a news camera were flying down the uh, canal and then it gets swept into the breach that it finds just in front of it and gets pulled into the houses. So we end a little bit more subjective. And uh, the, uh, you know, the big, it is a chicken and an egg problem because the water breaks the houses that impacts the water. So you we had to kind of art direct that in a certain way. And that was the early discussions with Stormborn was like, listen, how we can't simulate this over and over and over again to understand what's going to happen with the, with the water specifically. And so what we did was we worked out timing performances on all the houses crashing and made custom emitters at those points so that they would interact with those houses being destroyed. So you would feel like a rush of water had hit that place. And then we had the main wave moving through the shot and they were culling all the way just behind the camera to get rid of all the data because it was just like massive amounts. I think they said there were a thousand simulations in that simulation alone that were, were put together. Yeah. yeah. Um, something, something insane like that. And the, um, uh, you know, what is it? <laughs> 315 gigabytes of assets yeah. uh, over a thousand simulations yeah. in preparation caches is, is the, th- is the uh, quote from them. Wow. So, uh, and I think Eric, Eric was with the show longer than I was and he finished up all the posts and everything. So I think you said it was nine months from starting that show. Yeah, something like that. And, you know, in the last stages, of course, Stormborn is like, are we done? And but <laughs> there's always a comment. Well, we need another one of these. And this. it was a matter of building and making it more and more sure. and more all the all the way. And then also art directing it because sometimes, you know, maybe the tree would go the wrong way, and you had to like figure out how to just identify that tree and just isolate that and so forth and, and piece it all together again. So it was uh, the kind of thing that it's easy to ask, but then if you're on the other end you see the pain that that causes. So I'm, I'm very aware of that and aware that a little, a comment by a supervisor, oh, we should change that. And everyone's trying to please and say, yeah, there's no problem. And then on the other side of it, because I've been on the other side, you see the ripples of pain that that happens. So you have to be very careful and as clear as possible with your comments and, and uh, realistic as, as possible. That is the hardest thing is, especially if you know how a simulation, how challenging it is to change things in simulations Mm -hmm. that (laughs) you break a lot. And that's part of our job as visual effects supervisors is we're there to get the creative across, but also to protect the vendor Mm -hmm. to a certain extent so that we make sure that what we've talked about is achievable. And, and we, you know, it's uh, half of what we're doing is selling the shots in the other direction to say like, isn't this great to the directors who have asked us to do a certain thing? Because, right. you know, that's part of, that's part of what we, we know what's achievable and we're stuck with a little bit, uh, with having to educate in both directions. And, and the art of when you say, isn't this great, is make them feel like they said, this is great. You know, you've got to sort <laughs> that's of right. make it, uh, make it yeah. their idea in some way or ownership. Yeah. 
I think that's true. I think that you know, uh, uh, it's 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 been uh, it's been a challenge. I think, especially in the last several years, a lot of people have been villainizing CG in a lot of ways and sort of uh, not necessarily saying the, the wonderful things that it does. Um, and uh, I think you know, especially if you look at a shows like this, and especially the invisible effects that you were doing, people don't even realize <laughs> mm-hmm. how much we do and what's been done, and and how it's possible to do all these things. Um, so I think it's really nice to, to to be able to do that and to see to help directors and filmmakers know that they're they sh- uh, they can appreciate all the wonderful things we do, as opposed yeah. to saying you know, oh, it looks like CG. <laughs> it was a huge surprise to me that we got nominated, not because the uh, work wasn't great. I, I thought it was really great work that we'd done, but just what you're saying, which is that this was very much an invisible effects show, right? And um, you know, there's so much great work being done that. To the average Emmy voter, I just assumed that they would go for the bigger, more spectacular stuff, as it were. So. I think. Well, I think maybe that's a nice thing too, because I think it yeah. shows that they are they are starting to recognize the work that you guys are doing on these types of things, right? Right. And I think the episode that we were nominated for, uh, just in the presentation, it tells a story. Sometimes you have show the effects, and it's just all disjointed stuff. And in this case. In the presentation, it, it's a cohesive story. You sort of follow what it, it, uh, what is going on, and that makes mm-hmm. the shots more meaningful because each of the shots do have meaning. So having, having the right context, I think, has a lot to do with it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think it's really cool that uh, that, that that was happening. So uh, there were, how many episodes is the whole, uh, the whole series? Eight. Eight episodes. Eight episodes. And uh, you guys were nominated for one episode, right? That's right. Well, in, in the, the way it works in, in the uh, TV Academy is there are two categories, one for best visual effects in a series, and mm-hmm. there's Lord of the Rings and so forth, and we would not have stood a chance with that. And, so, <laughs> sure. and then there, honestly, and then, there, uh, then there's, it used to be best supporting visual effects, but that's changed uh-huh. now, so it's best uh, visual effects in a single episode, and that's where we are. Okay, okay. Uh, that's really cool. That's really cool. Um, I think the the VES does something like that as well, right? They do a single episode thing as well. Yeah, yeah we won the VES this year, which was amazing. Yeah. So, so, so this nice. this yeah. I was gonna <laughs> bring that up. You guys won the VES for uh, for this show, right? Same right. episode, same everything. Yeah. Same episode. Okay. Yeah. Because they also have one where it was best supporting visual effects as well. They right. They they continue that. They continue right. the supporting. I think the reason that the TV Academy decided to not do it, and I have had conversations with the, the head brass there, is that they felt, and I don't necessarily agree, but they felt that the support, if you're a supporting role or not, that, that border, borderline is very sort of undefined. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why they went to just a single episode. Okay, okay. Uh, all right. Well, besides, obviously, you know, the, 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 the strong previous you had was obviously a wonderful thing to, to help get you guys through. What were some of the other uh, big uh, things that really sort of helped you guys out a lot on this show? Um, I think, uh, well, the time, did I mention the time, uh, time machine? I didn't do that. Okay. So uh, going into uh, one, one great feature of Google Earth is it has time, time machine. So you can go back in time. Oh, right. Yep. And what's brilliant about this or was brilliant about Google Earth in our case 
is that you go back to, in this case, go to the lower ninth ward. This is the area we want to have this levee breach. And so you could see it a week before it happened and the day after. And so you had a very clear template of what happened. And then two days after the breach, and then the next week and so forth. So you, we had a very great template to approach this. It was sort of a forensic episode, uh, kind of uh, situation where we would go back in time and try to restructure what happened, determine what happened, and then present it in the most accurate way possible. So we would see exactly where the, the levees had broken, what houses were impacted, and so forth. And it was just, there's no way to put a value on that because it was, uh, it meant everything to have that in place. Yeah, yeah Eric, Eric introduced me to that feature and I was blown away. And you, also so, have street, thing, you also have it in Street View, but uh, it's not as robust. So unfortunately, mm, we couldn't sure. go back in Street View, but, but Satellite View, you certainly can. Yeah, the other thing I think that worked in our favor was the directing and DP team, uh, Ramsey, John, and Carlton were all uh, very open to what we were doing and put a lot of trust in Eric and myself to just say, like, how do we approach this and where mm -hmm. should we shoot this and on what angle should we build this set? Um, John Tennant, the lead grip, his guys were doing things I didn't hear. You know, we've all been on sets where we hear that's not my job and we didn't hear that at all. They were super helpful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they were in the tank putting things in. Uh, tracking was one of the problems we had and they built us poles with tennis balls embedded in concrete buckets so that we could bring them into the water per shot and just place them. And we had little paint out water level height floating tennis balls that were anchored so that we could track the shot. Um, so there were those, and Matthew Davies built us, uh, or allowed us to build in small little, uh, we built, a, Eric and I worked out a GoPro array of eight GoPros around the helicopter set and the water set, because tracking was a problem in both of those situations. The, uh, the Blackhawks coming in were blowing the blue screens around and the, the Coast Guard helicopters. Right. Um, so we needed a backup to be able to triangulate if anything went wrong. And then in the water, as you pointed out, it's like you have just an undulating surface. So the way we solved that in long lens situations was to have these little t tracking balls that we could place in the water wherever we needed them. And um, the, as I said, the, the grip department was amazing that way. The production team was amazing. And then John McGilvery, who's nominated with us for the Emmy, who built the whole tank for us. Everybody was just looking for solutions. And they were open to, they realized the effects was going to be a significant portion of that solution. And they were open to finding the best solve. Yeah. Right. That's Which is not wonderful. always the case. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Uh, so it's really wonderful when everyone tries to work together in that way because I think mm -hmm. it really sort of shows the collaboration that people are trying to achieve. And obviously it's very effective. I mean, like I said, those invisible effects are really amazing. I did see, I mean, obviously you guys were, were, were able to share some stuff with me that I was able to see a few things and there was a, a sequence where they know the wave is coming. <laughs> this is about fit. And you had a, a card you guys pulled in the tank. Is that correct? And then you had the wave 
behind it that is it blended so well. I was like, this is so good. I assumed the car was CG, not because it looks so great, but I was like, it's got to be CG because how else are they going to yeah. make this whole thing work? <laughs> yeah. I mean, in that case, it's, it's great always to have something real, even if it's, it's yeah. a, the thing that's in the final shot. It just gives you something tangible to wrap your head around. And it shows how the water interacts with the, the car and so forth. And then they, they replaced all that. But they had a, a, such a great reference that it worked beautifully. Yeah. 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 yeah we ended up replacing that car. But oh, the I point see. is always just because of the angle of it. We liked it better at a slightly different angle. Eric was, I wasn't around for this, but Eric was. But um, the it looked point, exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, just on a slightly different, yeah. different angle. But yeah, that's the one. That's the thing is, anytime you can have a one-to-one correlate, even yep. if you're going to replace it with a digi double, having or uh, like I'm doing a show right now with tennis and having a take with a tennis ball in the shot just lets you know about the the motion blur and the lighting on it and how quickly things were moving and sure it, you just it's so helpful to have uh, something to give the artist's reference yeah, as, as, as we know sometimes it comes down to months later and it's two in the morning in a dark room in the back of a studio with some poor artist who is like tired out of their mind and they've been trying to figure out how this works. And then they see a reference and like, Oh, I, I, now I understand how that works in real time. They right. weren't even on the set. So they have no idea of what the physics were necessarily. And so anything helps everybody. Yeah. Reference is, is, is the most important thing of visual effects. <laughs> if I know what it's yeah. supposed to look like, I can make it look like that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's, that's incredible. How, how, how many days on set were you guys, especially like how many days were you on that tank set? Uh, that was about two weeks, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. The whole visual effects component of the shoot was, uh, kind of August. If I remember properly, it was about a month and it was a little into August and into September. They, uh, they pushed, but, yeah, they pushed yeah, the tank pushed. and the helicopter to the end because they knew that was the hardest. And also just, it took so long to build the the tank itself as well as the helipad determining where that's going to be and so forth so they just you know like like any kind of big vfx shots when it's over the head of a lot of people they say oh we'll just do it at the end it'll be fine so we're just dealing with what's in front of us and then it gets sort of pushed and pushed and then all of a sudden the day happens and you're there so fortunately we had enough planning to make it work on that day yeah, and we had we had a lot of challenges. Uh, like, I mean, the production department couldn't get lumber to build the sets at the time because of COVID and the uh, supply chain issues. Right. So they ended up building a lot of those sets out of steel that they had to just get instead of lumber because there wasn't it wasn't available. But that pushed uh, the dates a little bit. So we lost a week or two weeks from when we were meant to be shooting our visual effects sequences and. Right. Um, you know, the helipad is a staircase to nowhere and then a helicopter pad on the ground about 100 feet from that. That could only be nine feet off the ground right. um, because of safety. We didn't want anybody to have to wear harnesses. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that discussion went into play and then it was on us to seam up the staircase, the three-story staircase with the one-story helipad, um, which was a really interesting and non-intuitive way to solve that problem. Yeah, sure. so, yeah. Originally, we were on the search for many, many weeks of a, a magical rooftop in Toronto 
that would somehow appear that we could land helicopters on in the background <laughs> was Toronto, but looked just like New Orleans, so everything could be done in camera. There was that fantasy for like a number of weeks, and we went all over the city and then finally realized it's not going to happen. So we ended <laughs> up with a, uh, a platform by the Speedway outside of um, Hamilton. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So how long was it, like, from when you guys started doing previs to you guys wrapping the show? How, 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 what was the time frame for all of that? Let's see. Well, I started, I started Almost in, a year, yeah? Yeah, in January. So I started January and then had a lot of pre-production, but then went to Toronto in April, and then it was probably, yeah, about a year and a half, something like that. A, little, a year and four months. That's amazing. For me. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> Uh, it must have been a lot of fun and really cool that you guys were able to do that. Uh, when is when is the uh, when is the Emmys going to be? It should have been uh, uh, basically in a month on on September eighth, but right. that's been pushed to an unknown. They they would like to have them in November if if things worked out. That that would be what's happening. So we'll right. see. We'll really see what happens. Right. You know, one one thing, just a side issue or a side story here. One thing that's great about working in films is you meet people that you never in life would meet before sure and our helicopter pilots were amazing it's the first time i think they brought the coast guard up and also the first time maybe they've had a black hawk there the guys who were doing the helicopters we saw the black hawk and it just did it was almost like there was no gravity i mean it just come and they could move and do anything and this is like seal team six guys so they're wow. like the real the real dudes and right it was really fun talking to them and what was interesting about it is they were excited to meet us as we were as excited to meet them because they had never been on a film set they hadn't met, met film people and we had never met these rock stars you know super jocks i mean right. whatever you want to call them gods you know the, the field <laughs> team guys and uh so it was really fun to uh to have that going on yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I remember at one point I was doing some car commercial and we, we needed a stunt driver and uh, we ended up hiring the, the drifting champion as a, as a, as a, and it was just the best thing. We got in the car and started spinning around the parking lot with him. He was so amazing. So I know that feeling when you see these, these people that you don't have the opportunity to meet and, and, and really sort of understand what they're doing is it's awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, before we, we go, and I want to sort of get an idea from you guys. I mean, obviously, uh, lots have changed. A lot is changing in, the, in, the, in filmmaking. Uh, from filmmakers' perspective, uh, guys who are actually on the ground working with filmmakers, uh, how, have you gotten a lot of questions recently about how visual effects is going to change, what's AI, how AI is going to affect uh, their work and how they're going to work on things? I'm just wondering from your perspective what you sure. guys think about that and how you respond to those questions. I think that actually for me the questions are more questions that I think we have not necessarily filmmakers coming to us because we're sort of ahead of the curve and we see what's happening more than, than people outside of it. Right. I mean, I've just seen some extraordinary stuff, you know, mm -hmm. uh, like especially in the deep fake world with actors. Mm -hmm. I've seen and been in front of the mirror basically looking at yourself as another person, as Arnold Schwarzenegger or whoever, and not just only like 
in my case, there are, I, know, I had an Arnold Schwarzenegger face on me, and then when I would smile, it wasn't me smiling with a mask. It was like Arnold, Arnold's essence smiling and, and right. joking around. So, what were you? What were you looking at? Were you looking at uh, the metaphysics stuff, or no? It was like metaphysics. That this was deep voodoo, which is a oh, okay. similar process, but deep. Mm-hmm. But certainly, metaphysics does a huge amount, and with here, it's going to be a, an amazing film what they're they're doing with that so i think a lot of this is is going to be flooding us it, it's yeah. hard matt you just had an experience where you're working with uh, something where you're trying to just get the data set that's that's the hard part of this right yeah we're using ml uh for some stuff i won't talk too much about it just because of ndas and stuff but sure. it is it is uh scarily powerful i will say i think the the fact that the data set from an actor encapsulates how they would do a performance. Mm-hmm. And so the performance of the other actor, let's call them a stunt actor for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. underneath doesn't ha- have to be as nuanced yeah. because strangely the machine learning introduces the nuance from the actor yeah and i was very not expecting that i was very i, I wasn't either it that. surprised yeah. me totally surprised me yeah yeah so the 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 level of the the and then uh, I, as somebody with a background in draftsmanship and all those types of things i think concept art is under real duress um but i don't i don't see it as a existential threat uh any for our industry any more than it is for every other industry so not that that's a clear all for the issues right um that's not to dismiss them but i think that society is going to have to take a look at what uh kind of based universal basic income we need to keep society moving and ai is going to contribute to that and we're going to be part of that flow I think, you know, we've gone through, just to go through, we've gone through this before when practical and CG seem to be at odds with each other. And I think, you you know, based on this exact show that you guys did, you proved that you don't have to be at odds. You can actually work together really well and and complement each other, both creatively and and technically. And I think that there's probably going to be a situation where ML and, 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 and different AI tools are going to do the same thing <laughs> almost certainly almost right. certainly. and, and yeah. it's like it's not it's a sin existential if you if you stay up you know stay in the game on it sure. because uh, you know i remember like years ago optical printer operators and compositing you know and they a lot of people just said this is the only way to go and this is what i know and they, they're gone and right. everyone knew that would leave us now the the speed of change is so rapid, it's hard to really know what's around the corner, but we all have been through a number of phases of these kinds of things. Sure. And, and the, the way to survive it is to ride it, really. So to learn it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Phil Tippett does CG now, right? <laughs> so, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think I think that's uh, that's really interesting. I'm just curious, you know, from I'm I'm sure that you, because you guys interact with filmmakers uh, much more directly, being on set, et cetera, as opposed to someone who's in a dark studio, sort of uh, using Photoshop or whatever. I think that there's uh, 
it's got to be an interesting conversation that you guys must be having with these people about like how yeah. are we going to solve this problem, right? Well, it's a double-edged sword because unfortunately everybody sees things on TikTok with eight-bit yeah. eight bit images and thinks everything's simple. Right. And yes. at the same time, ML and these things are making things more simple. So, uh, or making it more accessible, cheaper, faster, all those types of things and less laborious for artists. I mean, I remember shows where we were tracking sliding skin by hand and sure. ML does that on 30 second shots in a night. Right. Um, so I think, I think, you know, I, I don't think anybody's upset that that person is out of a job. That person was a talented modeler who had to do that job because we needed the shot done. And right. it was, but that person of, could do a different job now. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I remember there's a, uh, a guy I know there was a, was a specific on set. He was working on a movie and he had a, there was a scar on someone's back and it was in a shower and they wanted to make the scar more visible. And they had to track in a CG scar for like three weeks yeah, exactly. <laughs> by hand. Yeah. Exactly. That's a horrible job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and so I don't, I don't think that's always uh, the best, the best solution for a time, but I think it is incredible. In fact, you guys, you know, you guys were bringing up the subtleties that a lot of these machine learning can do for facial expressions, mimicking right. the actual people, you know, Matt, you know, you and I worked on Tron legacy, you know, how challenging it was to mm -hmm. try to get uh, a Jeff Bridges performance doing that. We had to do that by hand. And guess how he was looking, and try, you know, and sometimes it succeeded, sometimes it didn't. Uh, but uh, but now you can get a lot of help from 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 AI to make that sure that works, right? I was just going to clarify. You're nice to include me on that, but you were making those decisions. I was very much lighting the inside. We were still of the working wall. on the same. We were still working <laughs> on the same movie. Though. We're just Fair play. play. Good man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, guys, this is really cool that you guys are able to, to be on. I really appreciate it. This is uh, some wonderful story. I think everyone should watch the show on Apple TV uh, or Apple Plus, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, it's, it's really cool. And congratulations on the, the nomination. Uh, I am, I'm rooting for you guys. Uh, and uh, thanks so much for, for being part of, the, part, of the, part of the CG Garage. And welcome back, Eric. <laughs> Thank you, thanks, Chris. Chris. It's good to be here. Yeah, really great to see you again. See you in six years, huh? <laughs> it's AI time, so I'll see you next week. Yeah. Next week. <laughs> That's right. That's good. Perfect. Thanks, guys.